0: If you remember from last week. oh well, God bless you. And I mean that word for word. That we have a lineage. God steps into a couple in crisis. It's a couple in a very bad situation. Uh, the guy's married to two gals. That's never good. And... <clears throat> One of the girls is his favorite, and the other one's having babies. And we start with this lineage that, if we were to read through it, we could read that God creates or takes possession in showing pity to be my God, becomes lowly to flow fruitfulness. And that's what we're going to see throughout our entire book here. This this gal, this gal that is fruitless but favored, her name is Hannah, Hannah which means grace, and uh, poor Gracie at this moment is, has a, a really rough time because not only is she in a position where she is childless, and in this particular culture, that makes her prime target for disgrace, but she's also tortured, really, in essence, by, tormented by the, the other wife, uh, whose name is Penina. And uh, things are, are really rough. Her name means jewel or ruby. And... Uh, I just I mean, I've got lots of babies oh isn't it's just same oh do we hear a baby crying oh that must be mine I mean think of the things she could be saying at this moment and and certainly there is this uh this place where this goes really 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 deep and there's something in the heart of a of a galic here that especially in this culture and in and, and in all of this she they, we read that uh, in chapter 1, this focus on this word worship that appears now more times in chapter 1 than it does in Joshua, Judges, and Ruth combined. Uh, every book since the Torah. Uh, again, we're roughly right at about 1100, uh, 1100 B.C., puts things in a timestamp stamp for us. Uh, and this is going to be 600 years before, 500 years before all of the Chinese philosophers that we know of uh, that create things like Taoism and Confucianism and all that. It's a, it's a 500 years before that. It's actually uh, during a high time of uh, of really kind of just world anarchy among God's people. That's what we see because it's during the time of Judges. And during this time of Judges, it's it's really religious anarchy everywhere. And God gave us this love story first showing us that love can prevail even in the midst of the most horrific of cultures, and then even those that are professing God. And then he gives us this, which is the birth of change. Uh, in this, the gal goes to church, uh, the tabernacle in its day, and she's heartbroken. She's crushed. She's really hurting, and she cries, and she's praying to God. Her lips are moving, but no sound is coming out. She's so heartbroken, and the priest, who's, uh, this his name is Eli or Eli, Eli, and he's at the, the gate or if the well, the door of the tabernacle, and he sees her and he's studying her mouth, and her mouth is moving, no sounds coming out. He just assumes she's wasted. He says, "How long are you going to be drunk, woman? This poor girl, just to add to a rough day, she's already been tormented by her." By her uh, competition, if you will, uh, you know, things are rough. She goes and she cries out to God. And then, the, if you will, the pastor, or in this case, the priest, calls out to her and just says that she's this horrible, wicked woman. And she's like, I'm really not drunk. If I'm not drunk with alcohol or any of that, if I'm anything, I'm, I'm crushed with grief and I'm childless. And now the priest kind of has a rough time. And understand, we're going to see why Eli comes to that. Eli comes to that conclusion because we're going to see his own household here being a real mess. In chapter two, and the next thing goes well. Maybe let the Lord, let the Lord grant you this gift. This is what you're crying out to. Let God give it to you. And for anyone who's ever really tried to have children, you know this is a this is an, an emotion that seems to be unique to this. It's it's a, a flurry of emotions that kind of come, and you're like, it's just everything from disappointment to feeling of failure. There's all kinds of crazy things that go in it, and. Uh, Tay was so special, it took seven years to make her, which is really special. And uh, I, but anyways, we better not develop that. But, but in, in the end of it all, I mean, I, we've seen these moments where you just see these, these emotions and there's, all you can do is throw it before God and you just you wonder what God's going to do with it. And, and so ultimately, she says to God, God, if, in this prayer, please, if, if you give me a male child, I'll give him right back to you. He'll be yours as long as he lives here on earth. I'll get him after that. We can, we can have him together then. And and God grants her that. And she has this boy. And this amazing underdog in the midst of a whole horrible time of religious nastiness. And... We're going to see that Eli's own sons are really, remember, their names are Puncher and Serpent Mouth. That tells you a little bit. And they're going to live quite, quite up to that today. And in the midst of this, this boy is born and mom gets him until he's weaned. And then realizes, much like Abraham with his own son, this promised son is going to change the world. This son of promise in the midst of a time when the religious world around us is just gone to the toilet. When I think of that today. Of course, obviously, this is preparing us for the ultimate. When God himself shows his arm by being choosing to have his own son born as a baby. As a son of promise. In a household like this. Not two wives, but a household where things are rough. And so God grants her this, and she knows she's going to have to give this boy up. So she weans him and then takes him to the tabernacle and says to the priest, Hey, remember that child that you said I should get? Well, here he is. And they worship. And they worship and say, God, thank you. And in that now, And it breaks into prayer. It's a poem. It's a song. You can call it what you like. And that's where we're at in chapter 2. Let's pray. And let's jump in. Lord, I thank you so much for this beautiful, this beautiful, beautiful song. I thank you, Lord, that in a time when there was no king, in a time where everyone did what was right in their own eyes, and that's people claiming to be yours, who should do right in your eyes should give you the right to make the rules, even in the middle of all of this. You brought us into a love story in Ruth, and now you brought us into a very troubled marriage and a broken heart that becomes the perfect soil for the most beautiful flower of salvation we see here to prepare us for you, Jesus. And so here we are seeking to be captivated in your word and letting you teach us, Just as you desire to in your word. So open our hearts and minds as we sung. Open our lives and plant deep within them the promises that you have oozing out of this chapter. And fill us full of hope. Please, as we commit this time to you, I just so thank you for every person here, and I pray this would be perfect time. Captivate us, Lord. Don't let us nod off. Don't let us get kind of whatever, Lord. Just keep us in so that we can hear what you have to say to each of us today. In Jesus' name, amen. I would say tonight as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible be your authority. So that I'm always held in check with whatever I would say. We have this beautiful song in, in, our, in this chapter, 36 verses. The first 10 verses, 11, sort of a segue verse, uh, is Mary's prayer. I'm sorry, Mary, sorry. Hannah's prayer, very similar, by the way, to Mary's prayer. But we'll find when Mary gets her promise. As well. And then from there, God's gonna show this. And in her prayer, the theme is really simple. It's God the Ultimate Reverser. And that will be kind of, a, if you will, Daniel, the title for his God the Ultimate Reverser. He's the one who's gonna flip things, because at this moment, there are those that are strong. And really in her song, what she's gonna show is that the weak have been lifted and that the proud have been brought low. Uh, very much like that promise we saw with the lineage back in our first couple of verses of chapter 1. And, and please understand, in this, Hina was the underdog and Peninnah was the strong. And in the same way, what you're going to see is Samuel's going to be the underdog and the sons of Eli are going to be the strong. But God's going to flip all of that. He's going to show that God really knows how to take you no matter where you're at, no matter how much of an underdog you feel, no matter how little you think you bring to the table. God knows how to flip what seems to be unflippable upside down or, if you will, right side up. And I look at this world and I see craziness and I know you do, too. And we see it in the political world. We see it in the media world. We see it in everything that seems like it has momentum and girth and strength and funding. And we see all of this stuff that looks like, how in the world could this topple? And then you look at yourself, if you're anything like me, and you look and you go, how in the world could I make a difference? I'm the underdog and I don't mind being the underdog. And then you look at God and everything just seems so clear. All of a sudden you're like, it doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter how strong something seems, how invincible Goliath seems, whatever the Goliath is. What's interesting is, is I don't even know if Hannah realizes that her song really, in essence, isn't just a song about her own personal grieving and the success, the victory God gives her over it. But really, in the simplest sense, it is a song that becomes, if you will, a chant, and emblematic of the whole nation around her. And we'll see it in the chapter. God, the ultimate reverser, bringing low the the lofty and and, and bringing high the, or raising up those that are in the ash heap or the dunghill. We'll talk about that in a moment. And then what we'll see is after those first, uh, if you will, first 10, 11 verses, then what we see is the sons of Eli, the strong. and how And we see that the strong at the time, why they need to be brought low. And then we'll see Samuel in 18 to 26, who needs to be lifted up. And then what we'll see is God showing that prophecy of how that's going to happen in verses 27 through 36. God, the great reverser, the underdog over the incumbent. Look at it with me. Chapter two, verse one. Hannah prays now. My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no other rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by Him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty men are broken, and those who stumbled are girded with strength. Those who have who, who are full have hired themselves out for bread, and the hungry, well, they have ceased to hunger. Even the barren has borne seven, and she who has many children has become feeble. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set among princes and make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and He has set the world upon them. He will guard the feet of His saints, but the wicked will be silent in darkness. For by strength no man shall prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. From heaven He will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to His King and exalt the horn of His anointed. That's Mary's prayer. Imagine the fact that God chooses in His brilliance to take a prayer from a woman whose heart was broken, who God intercepted that grief cut into that grief and injected hope and then brought that hope to pass. And then God took that and took the prayer of a girl who has seen God move and he recorded it for us to hear for the rest of eternity. Can you imagine? Now, I want to remind you, this is 1100 B.C. Show me one culture where a woman's prayer would be recorded anywhere. Show me anywhere where someone would take special note of a gal who was barren and God intercepted in such a way, intervened in such a way. Did you notice in this prayer, in these ten verses, nine different times she says, The Lord? You can tell where her mouth is, where her heart is, where her mind is in this. Ladies, ladies, never underestimate. The power of God in your life and the power of your testimony when he moves. God just may be recording it for us to read for all eternity from this point forward. And I wonder if God were to write down our prayers, could you imagine how many of those prayers we'd be embarrassed by? When we stood before God or sat in the kingdom of heaven in eternity up with our master and our Lord and our Savior who flung the stars into space and called them all by name, who held every atom within our body together. And imagine, if you will, that God says, let's take a look at some of your prayers. Would you be like, uh, maybe we should kind of cut it here. And do you have a couple good ones in there? I'm sure that I've got a couple good ones. Well, here's a great one. Notice in verse 1, there are three things that she actually lists here. My heart, my horn, and I smile is literally my mouth. Peh is the word for mouth. And and, and it says literally my mouth, r'chav, r'chav means to enlarge or to strengthen. So what she says is my heart rejoices, my horn is exalted, and my mouth is enlarged. That's how this starts. My heart rejoices. Now, please understand. The word for, and I I don't want to develop a lot of Hebrew, but there's a couple words that are kind of important. And here's one of my favorites is the word rejoice here. Because the word in the Hebrew is the word alatz. Can you say alatz? That was good. Thank you. Try it again. Alatz. Alatz means to jump for joy. It doesn't mean, in other words, if you will, this is not a British rejoicing. This is a Mediterranean rejoicing, if that makes sense. This isn't a... Oh, lovely. That's quite nice. Now, and I'm not trying to pick on that, but we, you know what it's like. We know what it's like when there's like, oh, that was, that was, that was quite lovely. Yes, that was nice. You know, and we get that and we go, but, but then you get to the somewhere where kind of the weather's a little hotter more often than not, and it's sunnier more often than not, and there's like a woo coming in there. And you can't tell me that British culture doesn't permit it because I've seen football matches. And I don't understand how a person could be quite nice about everything, and then you put them in there someplace, and some guy gouges another guy's eye out or whatever, and people just go mental. So there's place for it. And the whole point of it is is that when she says my heart rejoices, to start this, the word heart, love, is the insides. My insides are jumping for joy right now. Here's the crazy part. It isn't when the baby was born. That already took place in chapter 1. She is saying this before God as she's giving her son up. And we're going to see to a guy who has punk kids. Could you imagine laying your kid in in that household and being like, inside my hearts are jumping for joy. Now, inside my heart's leaping out. Yeah, I could get that out of fear. But what she sees is, God, if you could do this miracle, you could do anything. And let me ask you, ladies, I'm talking to the ladies here where my ladies at. Let me ask you, has God done something in your life that you would have said, God, if you could do this, you could do anything. And yet now the anythings seem to be a bigger challenge. Because at this point, she's jumping for joy inside. You know, if we read this, the Gospel straight through, what we realize is Jesus fed the 5,000 and Jesus fed the 4,000. Which one did Jesus do first? The 5,000. And the only reason I say that is, he fed the 5,000, by the way, with five loaves and two fish. I mean, he blessed them, he broke them, he handed them out. 5,000 Jewish men and their families. It's not just 5,000 people, it's 5,000 men and their families. So, you know, if we take an average Jewish family and you start putting the average in there, that puts it at about fifteen twenty thousand 20,000 people. And Jesus asks them, and he knows very well what they're, you know, he's doing this to test them. How are we going to feed these guys? You know, those moments where God gives you the test that's impossible and the only real positive way to pass is to just have faith? You're like, um... I don't know. And then and there's always one within the group that's like, well, I've already kind of done the digits. You know, I mean, 15 years ago, they would have walked around with a calculator in their hand. Now their phone's out. And they're kind of like, you know, well, I've done this. And it's like, you know what? I've concluded that a year's salary doesn't give everyone a nibble. Thank you. That was very encouraging. Aren't you a little ray of sunshine? And Jesus is like, well, then why don't you feed them? You can see them going, uh. And Andrew, bless Andrew. He's always bringing people to Jesus. And he's like, well, uh, we found this kid and he's got a lunch. You know, he, he's basically got a BAP and one of those like Rolo puddings. You know, and, and that's basically, and he's got a little Walkers, you know, crisps, bag of crisps. That's all he's got. Jesus is like, perfect. It's never about how much you bring to the table. It's and Jesus says, just bring what you have to me. That's all I'm asking. Just bring what you have to me. And in he feeds. He, breaks and, he blesses and breaks, blesses and breaks, blesses and breaks. And as the case is, you know, as it's the case, if you will, we're out there and we're the guys. I mean, we're the 12, if you will. We're kind of going, whoa, oh, I don't know. It just keeps coming out. I mean, imagine you keep re- reaching into the basket and there's more fish and there's more loaves and you're like, this is awesome. Then there's 4,000 later and we're like, how, is this, how are we going to feed them? Did you get it? How many times does God do something so huge? It's like he's moving or has moved the mountains in your life. And now you've gotten a molehill and you're kind of freaking out over it. Well, my heart is leaping for joy in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. Now, the the word for horn is the word keren. Can you try keren? Now, it's different from the Hebrew word shofar. Obviously, they don't even sound the same. Shofar is the horn you blow, the ram's horn, big long ram's horn. That's the shofar. So it isn't like that. Horns exalted. We get that. Karen's the word that's used, by the way, for a small animal horn. It's used for a couple situations, but it's used for honor. By the way, for a if there's something even physical, because when a woman is childless, she still wear she still can wear a veil, but they put this little thing. It's kind of like a, it's a, it's a carving from an elephant's tusk. It kind of looks a lot like a crocodile tooth, and it would sit on the front of her headdress, and when she would have children, she would, well, you need it. You have to keep both eyes open when you got kids. She would raise her veil then and would be able to be raised up with this horn, if you will. And and I I just wonder if this is all part of it. Is There's an honor, of course. So you see these gals veiled and you're concerned, and then you see them with their raised, and there's this idea that, hey, wow, that gal's got kids. Either way, you get the idea. The horn exalted means she's been honored where she wasn't before. And then this term, my mouth is enlarged. Now, please understand something here. Put yourself in this perspective. Let's say you're single, but your friend is going out with the guy you wish you were going out with. Or a girl. Let's just... Put, we'll make this universal here. And with the guys as well. And, and with that, it's like, you know, and they're like, ha, ha 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 ha, look who I have, and you don't, you know. And then it's like, all of a sudden, God does something even infinitely cooler and infinitely better. And it's like, oh, my mouth is enlarged. Would you want to be like, my mouth is enlarged so I could go twice your ha ha with ha ha ha? I mean, is that where it is? Notice that's not where Hannah is. Hannah says, I, my mouth is enlarged at my enemies. Because I rejoice in your salvation. Now, this rejoice, and this is why I brought it up in the first place, this word rejoice is different from the other one. This is not that leap for joy that we saw before with the word aratz. Now the word alatz, now the word is samach, and samach means to be very cheered up now, to be very brightened. And if you will, I like this because this is the word that we might say, the idea of this is a much brighter countenance. Uh, you know, you look at someone and they, you can just see it on their face and you're like, how are you doing? And they say, fine. And inside you want to say, well, tell your face because your face obviously doesn't realize that because your face isn't saying fine. You know, I mean, you get that. How are you doing? Fine. Mm-hmm. Well, your mouth said it, you know, and then you see them where their face and everything changes their, you know, their composure. You know, you, you see them from and all of a sudden they kind of, yeah, these are good. And their whole body says, fine. That's this word. It's what she says is, you know why my mouth got bigger? My mouth got bigger to praise God for this. My mouth didn't get bigger so that I could turn this. I'm going to go stupid. <laughs> Proverbs twenty-four, seventeen says, Don't rejoice when your enemy fails or falls. And don't let your heart be glad when he stumbles. And he moves on and says, There's no one holy like our God, like the Lord, I'm sorry. And there is none holy beside you in a world around Hannah where everybody was serving and worshipping idols and everyone had their own things it was revolutionary for Hannah of all people a gal with all due respect again but here in culture to say there's no one there's you God and that's it there's no one beside you there's no gods here there's no pick and choose this isn't a salad bar this isn't the buffet and you pick what you like there's you and then everything else is a counterfeit that's what she's saying and I wonder, I wonder if somewhere in that, people in her neighborhood would have encouraged her. Now think, think it through for a second. She's in a culture where everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes. Idolatry is rampant. And I wonder how many people are like, well, honey, what you need to do is you need to go to the specialist and they're going to wave their hands. They're not going to touch you, but they're going to chant something weird. And then they're going to spray you with this kind of weird oil. And then they're going to take a chicken's foot and wave it in the air. And, you know, they're going to do all this stuff. And they're going to throw a card down and some bones and some rice and check your tea leaves and do all this stuff. And then they're going to read your horoscope and all this stuff. And then when you're done with the Ouija board and everything's done, then you'll have your... I mean, think of the things they could say. The only reason I say this, all those things are things that are almost normal in the culture around us today. That would have sounded weird to them, to some degree. Well, we have a book of spells, and if you go to this person, they'll wave a spell on you, and you'll have your baby. And She's like, man, all that stuff's counterfeit. I've watched my God pull through. Listen, if my God can do this. And God, listen, God allows these times where it really does seem very hopeless. Because if God only helps you and doesn't rescue you in certain situations, he'll never get any credit by the time you're done. But when God does step up and do something that is impossible, you'll always remember he did it. Hannah will be one of those people. There's no rock like our God. Then she turns and says, now talk. No more, so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth. I kind of get the idea. There's panina in this somewhere. For the Lord is our God of knowledge, is the God of knowledge, and by Him actions are weighed. God knows. He knows everything we do. Here's the good news and the bad news. He knows everything you do. Imagine if the hidden things you did were good things. You know what says in First Corinthians four five? Judge nothing before its time. Until the Lord comes who will bring to light both the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. But listen, then each one's praise will come from God. You Ever those moments where you meant to do something really well, but it didn't turn out so well? As an artist, those of you who are artists, you kind of know those moments. We have the very best intention and in your mind, it's, it's perfect. And then somehow by the time in execution, it didn't work out so well. You know, God gives you credit because he knows the inside. He sees the intent, the hidden things. He also knows those moments when you did something that looked really awesome on the outside, but it really wasn't for any awesome reason on the end. But he really does want to reward us. And she starts showing now God the reverser. The bows of the mighty men are broken. Those who are stumbled are girded with strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread, and the hungry, they have ceased to hunger. Even the barren is born seven. She, with many children, has become feeble. Notice she compares the mighty to the stumbled. She compares the full to the hungry, and compares the barren to the woman with a full brood of kids. And she says, You know, the strong would be the mighty men would be the full, would be the woman with many children. It's an interesting, that's where she wound up in both cases. She goes, what's interesting is, all those strong men now, where are they? All those who are full, where are they now? All the, the woman with all those children that was so proud, where is that now? Listen, do you remember when you stood against an invincible foe? Whatever it was, an addiction, a circumstance. And you looked and said, this is impossible. And now maybe you're facing another one. And you don't even know how you're going to get through it. Well, God's the ultimate reverser. And the way he does it is he brings low the high and he raises up the lowly. That was the promise with our first few verses. You know, on my ankle, I have a reminder of certain verses. That are verses that I might call my life verses. There are six, three in Old Testament and three in the New. One of them is Jeremiah nine twenty three and 24. I only have the verse markings because my leg's not big enough. Uh, it says, thus says the Lord. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, nor the mighty man in his might, nor the rich glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and he knows me. That I'm the Lord, exercising loving kindness and judgment and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. It's like all that strength and all that wisdom and all that financial success in the world. And people, they stand on this like it's an invincible tower. You guys, don't glory in that. You want to glory in something? Glory that you know me. And this is what you should know. I delight in exercising loving kindness. I delight in exercising proper judgment and I delight in exercising righteousness. Do you know what it means, righteousness? Righteousness means making you right with him. Because we as sinners, well, we don't have a right relationship with him. And God says, I delight in making you right with me. I delight in that. Because that's what it's all about. Because you really want to say you know me? This is what you should know. I love, is the way we might say it, I love being right with you. I love issuing you mercy, loving kindness. I love dumping on you kindness. Now understand loving kindness. The word we often use is mercy. I love dumping on you a love that you you don't deserve. I love dumping love on you that you didn 't have to and that means I initiate it, not you i don 't wait till you do something that I can pour love on because wow, you did that well, let me dump love on it to re- to pay you back i like I love dumping it on you when you don 't have anything to offer i love, dump I love I love dumping love on you. When you, when you feel like you're rotten and you're covered in poo and you just feel nasty and stinky and gross because of your sin and your weakness and your struggles. I love dumping this love on you and showing you, now let's get this right. Now, do you know that, God? Because I think Hannah does. She goes, you know what's so beautiful? I've just watched God flip everything. God says, you know, all that other stuff, well, we won't lie, it gets you somewhere, but for a very short time. You know, you're playing Monopoly, and you've bought all of the big buildings and you've got hotels on them and you're cashing in on all of this and you're feeling pretty good for the moment and if the game lasts as long as they seem to when I play it, you know, it, you get to this place where you're like, you could get drawn into it for a while and all of that. But sooner or later, the game's going to be over and all of the hotels and all of the houses and all of the money and all of the things you have are worth nothing in real life. And so what happens in the end? You're like, yeah, God well great so what do you have bragging rights for the moment you know and it's like we get, we come and we watch whatever the match is or whatever the game is and if you're kind of into that thing you get drawn into it and you're like yeah the, the point is scored or points or whatever and you're like yeah and then the game is over and, and you kind of have the rise for a moment but it but then you kind of have to go back to work or whatever and it doesn't really make a difference in work it doesn't maybe people might be nicer or not it all depends on what, who they rooted for but, but in it it's like you kind of realize these things will get so drawn into and then they're kind of going on. And you see the guy and he's, he's got this relationship with, he's married, but but he's eyeing somebody and he's tempted and he thinks, and he gets caught in the moment and thinks, oh, this moment, oh, this is going to be so special and it'll be so whatever and it'll be all the romance I'm missing and all this other stuff and he gets drawn into this thing or she gets drawn into it through the internet and I've watched this stuff and they have no idea, they realize this thing is it comes and goes so quick. And then they have to go and face their spouse and the, the, the grief and all of that that is so lasting. And sin it's, is it's so temporary and we just miss it. And the enemy goes, ah, oh, come on. Let's just think about the moment and get drawn into the moment and the rest of the world doesn't matter. And we say it like Herod, up to half my kingdom. And then you say, oh, give me the head of John the Baptist. Let's face it, we know circumstances where we see the tragedy of that, but in our own lives that we get caught in that? God says, but if you know me, when all the dust settles and everything else is gone and the game's over and the stands are cleared, and you've cashed in all of your hotels and all of that, and the, board, the, the board's put away and tucked away with the rest of the games or whatever, and real life is lived, eternity's there, you'll have me Forever. I just want to be in that moment where I can just see him face to face and go, so that's what you look like. I'd love it to be in such a situation where I'm so worshiping him right before that that I feel like I blink and he just showed up, and turned out what happened really was that all of this stuff was was gone and we realized how temporary it is. It's like you wake up. You ever have those dreams where you, you wish you could go back to sleep and keep going? ever those dreams where you wake up and you're thankful. In either case, there's still dreams. And then real life happens. And one way or another, we're going to wake up from this. And we'll realize how important it is to have our accounts right where it matters. You know, in Psalm 73, The Sins of Asaph, they, they say, you know, I. And it's really kind, the way he puts it. I think he's giving himself a little credit, a little too much of it. It's like, I almost stumbled when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And, and, I, and then I read this, and I see where he's like, you know, the fat get fatter, the rich get richer, the mightier seem to get mightier. And it's like, you know, all of the anti-God stuff has all of the funding. And, you know, and it just whatever way you want to put it. But he, and he goes, you know, I got to this point where I said, them, and this is loose paraphrase, but please read it for yourself, please and he's like, you know, I kind of got to this point where I was like, what's the use? You ever get there? You look and go, whoa, well, why am I doing this? Is it making any difference at all? Look at how all this stuff seems to have so much traction. And here I'm just, just trying to make a difference. And here I am going, what? And he goes, and I don't know when I thought about it, it got so painful I couldn't even, I couldn't even think about it anymore. It just depressed me, was where he was in the psalm. He's like, man, I was just, I got to this place where I was just so dark inside because I was I was just like well, what's this about So when he says I almost stumbled I'm like well how much farther is that not stumbling and, and he goes and then I went into the sanctuary of the Lord and I saw their end So they're cheating at monopoly So the ref made a bad call and because of that, a point was scored against you. You in the sense that you were rooting for a team. It isn't like you're even out there playing. But when the game's over and the board game's put away, (laughs) you look and he's like, you know, by the time I, when I really went into the house of the Lord, I realized I should feel sorry for these guys. Because everything they have is only now. That's it. Because God's the one who does the work here. And in the end of it all, the darkness that awaits them is, should be something you wouldn't want to wish on any enemy. So listen, the Lord, verse 6, kills and makes alive. Whoa, what? Brings down to the grave and brings up. Is she speaking about resurrection here? She's saying that God actually, this that the Lord actually, can make dead and can make alive. Before Elijah, before we've ever seen anyone of this sort, yeah, she is. As a matter of fact, it's so profound that this will be the first mention by the end of her prayer. It will be the first mention of a very, very, very important word for us. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. Raises the poor from the dust. And the beggar from the ash heap, literally, by the way, the term for ash heap is the term ashput, and ashput means dunghill. See, often what poor people would do is they would hang out by the dunghill and actually try to cash in by selling poo. Why would they do that? Because people used it for fuel. we kind of see some things like that. I mean, you can see the people, to be honest, today, maybe the closest thing isn't necessarily this, but people digging through rubbish bins and, and so forth to try to pull out bottles you remember seeing that in cans so they can take them to recycleries and get some money for it? Remember those days? I mean, when well, you see those kind of things. Well, that was kind of the idea here. Of course, it's infinitely grosser, stinkier, and less hygienic. But, I mean, imagine what you see. It's like, look God has the power to do both. So how can he not flip things if he wants to? He knows how to make people rich and he knows how to make them poor. He knows how to lift them up and he knows how to bring them down. That's his job. He lifts up Sure. And he can bring low. my, My God knows what he's doing. He can raise the poor out of the dust, even from the nastiest place, to set him among princes and make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. Look at all of this earth is the Lord's. Now, listen, please hear me on this. The Bible makes clear that this earth belongs to God. There are people that, you know, kind of play this game where it's like, well, you know, when Adam and and Eve sinned, they kind of handed the world to Satan. Listen, the Bible says all the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. God still owns this property. You know, we actually live in a really good place for this because what we see in London makes a lot of sense with this. Because what we see is this Occupy thing. Have you seen it? We've seen it in all kinds of places. As a matter of fact, there was one in Totters and Whetstone where I think the guy tried to pretend like he was a charity to like save the humans and all that, but basically all he really did was park this camper in front of a a, a store that isn't being used and then basically kind of crashed in the place. We saw that in Covent Garden, by the way, right on Neal Street where they took over an old shoe store, a really big place, by the way, and they were like, we were occupied." Well, you were a bunch of people that you just wanted to live in free housing. I get it. But in the end of it all, they didn't own it. They took it for a while, and because they took it for a while, but sooner or later they were all removed because it wasn't their property. And that's the whole book of Revelation, by the way, because notice the first verse of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what we're looking for. And what he's doing is he's coming back to claim his property and remove the occupier, if you will, which in this case is Satan. Now, he doesn't own the property, and that's something even Hannah recognizes here. Because the world belongs to him, he can do with it as he pleases. If you get past the first verse in Scripture, the rest of it should be pretty easy in faith. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If God created it, it's his. He can do whatever he wants with it. If he wants to turn the whole thing into a one gargantuous chicken, he can if he wants to. Now, I'm thankful Scripture doesn't tell me he's going to, but he can if he wants If he wants to take the whole, you know, the earth and just spin it like a basketball and put a finger up just to hold it up there, he can do it if he wants to. But he doesn't, and I'm thankful. Because to him, it isn't about amusement, it isn't about entertaining himself. The one thing he did, the one thing that's most important of all of God's creation are you. Because the rest of it isn't gonna last. So, listen, the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, he set the world upon them. He'll guard the feet of his saints. Notice he moves from what God does to what he will do. He will guard. Um, the adversaries shall be broken. He will thunder. He will judge. and He will give strength. Pillars of the earth of the Lord's. So he has set the world upon them. He will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked shall be silent in darkness, for by strength no man shall prevail. For by strength no one's going to win. Is that rough to hear? It is for me. Because I've lived a life where I've had to work my way out of things. I've had to fight my way out of things. I've had to push my way out of things. Some of you, you've lived that way. You know what it's like. God's like, but when it comes to an eternal perspective, there's no strength you have that's going to get you out of this one. You can't charm your way out of it. You can't brilliant your way out of it. You can't scheme your way out of it. You can't duck your way out of it. In the end of it all, we're all going to stand before God. And the good news is, you don't have to be strong there because, well, God's all you need. Now, please hear me. We're almost done, and I have a feeling all we're really going to get to is verse, verse 10 and 11 here to close today because I think this prayer is just too important. But please hear me. One of the things, among millions of other things, that make Jesus so unique is how universally equal everyone is before him. I mean, if there was, based on anything other than grace, someone has an advantage. If it was about being smart and understanding some kind of philosophy, smart people would have the inner track. If it was about doing certain things, praying certain amount of times a day, giving certain amount of things and all of these actions, then the disciplined would have the inside track. If it was about being able to sing, the gifted would be able to would have the inside track. No matter what it is, if it's based on performance, somebody is at advantage. If it's about chanting and getting in uncomfortable positions, the limber would have, Ruthie would have the inside track. Meanwhile, the older you get, the less you would be on the inside track. But grace puts everybody at the same place. Grace does. You don't have to be brilliant. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to be disciplined. You don't even have to be smart. The gospel is a very simple message, so the simplest of people can say yes. That's the whole point of Jeremiah nine twenty three and twenty four, let not the rich glory in the riches, the strength, the strong in their strength, in their strength. That's the whole point of it, is that if really in the end of it all, listen, by our own strength, no one's really going to win this. Even if that strength is financial, or that strength is popularity, or that strength is governmental power, or that strength is just physical strength, in the end of it all, in the sight of God, none of that is going to mean anything. Until really, except for receiving the grace of God and letting Him do something with it. So listen, the adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. You want to stand against God? Good luck. Well, and God doesn't believe in luck, so that's good. From heaven He will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He'll give strength to His king and exhort. I'm sorry, exalt. That means to lift up. There's our word the horn of his anointed. Interesting, the last word we have in this prayer is the word anointed. And that word is the word Mashiach. Mashiach is the word Messiah. Interesting, that's the word Christ if we translate it into Greek. It is the word Messiah and it is the first time in Scripture it's used. This prayer of a woman introduces the word Messiah, who we know is Jesus. In Matthew 13, I'm sorry, there's a few places, actually, Matthew 17, but where, and in Mark chapter 7, Jesus comes to his disciples. They're actually in Caesarea Philippi, and he says, who do men say that I am? And they come up with the kind of things, well, you're Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets, kind of thing, John the Baptist. And Jesus says, well, who do you say that I am? And it's brilliant. I can't wait to get there on a Sunday because where he is is so profound to the question he's asking. And, 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 they, and he says, well, who do you say they am? And, Jesus, and, and Peter says, well, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Christ, the Messiah. The anointed one. The one that God has been promising even before the fall. Why is that important? Because that word starts here. The anointed. So listen. I mean, we could, we could have gone a lot more of an intellectual route or just kind of a cultural route. But I think there's something a lot more intimate that God wants to do in, in each of us tonight. I mean, we can, we can nod and agree in the end of it all and we can pull out a bunch of other scriptures and certainly and kind of show how this, you know, beautifully webs into everything all around. But in the simplest sense, here's the point, and then we pray. Is that God's the one who flips the impossible and makes it possible. With man it's impossible, with God it isn't. And you go, but this is all but dead. And Jesus says, well have you read the Lazarus story yet? Because the Lord kills and makes alive; He can do both. And Jesus is like, so if there was anything impossible, didn't I already conquer that? Sin, Satan, guilt, all of that, didn't I, didn't I already conquer all of that? If that's the case, I know your heart is in this because you're hurting, because there are things in front of you that look really impossible. So impossible that I think in some cases you've already conceded. Let's be honest. You've already conceded. You've kind of gone, yeah, I'll probably always have this struggle. I'll always have this sin. Or, you know, maybe this situation, it's already doomed to failure. You know, well, any more than a girl here who says, you know, when I'm barren and I just can't have any kids, and this girl keeps laughing in my face and mocking me and scorning me, you know, and then then I go to pray and then, you know, the priest is like, ah, you stupid drunk woman. What's wrong with you, you hussy? I mean, imagine what that would be like. It's like, "Is, is your life that bad? Because you realize, if Hannah could talk to us today, if she sat here, I think she'd be encouraging us to say, well, where's your hope? She's like, I know what it's like to feel hopeless. I know what it's like to cry because I'm bitter in my soul. I'm tormented in my soul because I don't feel like I have hope right now. I look and I'm like, I don't see any. I don't see any traces of something that I go, that, that's it. But I remind you, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. You can't walk by sight if you walk by faith. And real faith is going to be when you don't see it. And again, I don't understand it, but I do know this. Whatever it is you're dealing with, I want to go to prayer right now. And I want to remind you that is, Hannah says, you know, because I saw God take on the invincible, take on the, the impossible, and he flipped the whole thing, and he took all the strong and mighty incumbents and He brought them down, and then he, then he took all of the, the lowest of the low, and he raised them up, which is exactly what's going to happen with Saul and David, and it's exactly what's going to happen with Jesus and the religious leaders. Of course, the whole thing is set in motion through this prayer. And, and which was kind of spotlighted on, us, and I look at all this, and I think, well, well, God, then, I don't know where I'm putting myself in all of this, but one thing's for sure. I'm not going to freak out over the government. I mean, whoever becomes mayor or whoever becomes president, for goodness sakes, or whatever, you know, it's like I'm not going to freak out over that. And the, the strength that that has and the media and the, all these things that they're shoving down our throats, that's so opposite of Scripture. And I look at all of this and, and they're like, ha, 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 look at your stupid little churches. And, uh, you know, hey, we were at, we were at Cafe Eterno which, again, was a Christian cafe on Sunday, and we're preparing, and I, I, actually on Tuesday, and, and I heard a couple guys walk by, and they're like, oh, didn't we shut this place down already? And it was such a paninna thing to say. And you're like, oh, God, wouldn't it be great if you just, bam! You know, I didn't want God to blow them up, but it would have been nice for God to do something, turn them into chickens for an hour. That would have been cool. I mean, whatever. But it was like, and I go, God, I know you better than that. I know that what you want is for them. You want to show them loving kindness, but you want to make them right with you. It's all to make them right with you. So my prayer tonight is that God would birth in us hope again. Hey, look it. He saved you, didn't he? He'd take you and some of you. It was like that would have been the most impossible thing in the universe. Not just to you, but to probably the person next to you. like, you know what? Can he make you sober? Can he give you hope? Can he take that situation in front of you and do something so marvelous? And everyone goes, wow. This is impossible. Perfect. Because my God is the ultimate reverser. He did it at the cross. He can certainly do it now. Would you pray with me? Lord, I I want to thank you. For what you're doing in this room right now. This is what you're stirring within our souls. And I know, Lord, it's your Holy Spirit's job to confirm in our hearts. Hey, this is, this is for real and this is true. And Lord, maybe the problem is, is we've been playing Monopoly for so long. We've been caught in the game and the match for so long that we've forgotten. We're in the, we're in one of those Marvel movies, which is like 14 hours long and, and we forget that, oh yeah, this isn't real life. We're caught up in the lights and the smoke and the crowds and the cheering and the, and the almosts and the whatevers to where we forget that eternity is what really matters. And all of this really, in the end of it all, we have an opportunity to invest eternity into people and invest eternity into a, into a world that is so decrepit and destitute of these things. And I pray right now that it has, I know it has to start with us. When we confess to you, God, truth be told, we're hopeless without you. We should have all the hope in the universe with you. But sometimes our eyes aren't on you like they should be. And when they're not on you, they're not on hope. Because you are our hope. And I, I and I just pray right now, wherever, whatever the thing is you're dealing with, can you just do this with me for a moment? We're going to get quiet before the Lord. And then it's not like this isn't a magic system, but for the purpose of, of making it an event in our hearts, could you just, in this moment when we get quiet with the Lord, just kind of whisper those, what the thing is that may seem impossible to you right now. And let's just, um, and I'm not going to say, oh, you're drunk because your lips are moving. You know, at least you're safe with that. But for the moment, just kind of be like, God, um, this thing, this thing I'm struggling with, or this situation, or whatever, God, it really does seem impossible. Please we interrupt my life now with hope. So as we get quiet, take the moment and let this be that moment where you, as God tells us, to lay our burden before him, to cast our cares. You're throwing them down at Jesus, and that's what we're doing here. So as we get quiet now, just do that with him. Would you just get alone with God right now and be like, God, this thing, now. Let's do that. Jesus, I know you're willing because you have taken my sins and the sins of the world upon yourself as a promised son, only son, only begotten that you would come and, and fulfill that promise and be that Messiah and be that child of promise and Take on the strong as a lowly servant and flip everything. Take it all to the grave, all the sin, all the shame, all the guilt. Mine and everyone's. and Choose to die there and then raise again. Oh God, you can do that. You can do anything right now in this room, barge into our foolish hopelessness and, 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 and shine so brightly that no darkness has anything to do but flee. We trust you, God. We say we do. We ignite our trust. Please. You are not just Savior, Jesus. You are Lord. And because you're Lord, our cry to you is that now. Show yourself strong. And lift these burdens off of us and replace it with hope. In Jesus' name. Your name, Jesus. Amen.